Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is, of course, your weekly X-Men podcast for Isaac Jenkins and my co-host Adam Rack go through three X-Men stories, and we put them on our big list uh, from best to worst X-Men stories, trying to figure out uh, what what's the winners and what's the less than winners. Uh, joining me for the longest break in the world <laughs> is Adam Rack. Adam, how you doing, man? Oh, it's great to be back. I apologize, guys. I've been lost in the time stream, but uh, I seem to have found my way back to uh, 2018 for better or for worse. So uh, it's great to be back. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's a little background magic here. We weren't planning on having interviews to fill in the time when Adam couldn't make the uh, episodes, but it did kind of just work out very last minute that way. So it, you know, happened. And Zach, you've been doing a great job. Thanks for holding down the fort. Those were uh, excellent interviews that you've been doing in my absence. I appreciate it. Oh, I try. I try. Thanks. <laughs> we don't have interviews today. We have no, the podcast. We're... We have the podcast that we're supposed to have. Let's rank some stuff. We are going to rank some stuff. Now, this, like pretty much every episode at this point, is coming to us from the lovely people on Patreon.com. Uh, they have decided to donate to the site, podcast, whatever, monthly. And this person is Emre Allen, who has a very specific suggestion for us that we've crafted this episode around. So first, Emre, thank you. Really hope I pronounced your name right. That's what pronouncednames.com told me, and I'm just – I'm trusting them from <laughs> – here on out. Luckily, this is like a one-way thing, so if you're rolling your <laughs> eyes and mad about it, I can't hear it. You can at me on Twitter. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> or or we have nothing to apologize for. It's no, one of the we, two. we might not. So thank you. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> to us. <laughs> anyway, uh, suggested for this episode was Ecstatics 13 through 18, Back from the Dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. AKA, AKA die another day. Oh, there's a lot to unpack here. Ooh. There's a lot to unpack here. So let's start with the creative teams. This was written by Mike. Nope. By Peter Milligan with pencils by Mike Allred inks and colors by Laura Allred. And wow. Let's, let's, yeah. let's start just a bit higher level. Adam, Beyond knowing that dupe is a going concern, what's your <laughs> relationship with the X-Force ecstatics line? I, I will describe it as incomplete because I've read uh, definitely the end of X-Force. I've read probably up through this arc of ecstatics, but this is probably about as far as I got. So, um, you know... It's a it's a real left field, crazy part of the X universe that uh, existed for this little window of time. And this this really tries to push some buttons. I don't know how well it succeeds, but we can get into that. I have a feeling you're a little bit more comfortable here. I've I, I've read and enjoyed the entire Milligan all red run. 
Uh, I think it's, as a whole, an incredibly interesting piece of comics. Mm-hmm. I think it runs into some issues later in later in its life. Okay. So let's let's talk about this story. So this is about two thirds of the way through the run of this series, and like yeah. like Adam said originally, this was called "Die Another Day" in the initial releasing because. As was initially announced, this was not going to have Henrietta Hunter joining the ecstatics, but instead (laughs) Princess Diana of Wales. What a bold choice. What a bold choice. And I I gather that uh, not everybody was super happy about this because, you know, from the news releases of the time, it sounded like the... uh, uh, the Royals were not appreciative of this at all and pushed back big time on Marvel's PR department about this. Uh, the official statement of the British Royal uh, family, and I know this because I looked this up on the BBC today, was we have no comment on either the initial announcement or Marvel saying that was probably a poor choice and a little tasteless. So we walk it back and the British people said, we're not going to touch that one. Well, and I'm still a little unclear on this because, you know, just by asking around, there seems to be some difference in opinion as to how far this actually got. Um, I could not find substantiated proof, but I believe someone shared with me that the first issue of this might have even gone to print and then got shredded. I don't know if I believe that, but, you know, there was some promotional artwork of at least one of the covers with Princess Di. And there are on the market, there have been individual pages with Princess Diana instead of Henrietta um, that are out there. So it must have gotten into production in some capacity. Well, I mean, Henrietta is a, she is a recolor of Princess Diana. Like she, she yeah, 100% is player two in a fighting game. And yeah, yeah. like uh, the cover, yep. the cover just- to issue 15 uh, as it is today, originally had Princess Diana. Like, it's a spinning Mike Allred image. It's weird that that existed. Uh, well, it is and it isn't, though. I mean, if you think about what Milligan was trying to do with this book, um, trying to tap into this zeitgeist of the, you know, the tabloids and reality TV uh, that was – you know, in its really explosive genesis, and he's making all this commentary, I think it makes a lot of sense to try and do, you know, sort of a comic book superhero version of Daily Mail exploitation of Princess Diana and her death. Um, This takes the meta quality of this series to an entirely different level. Unfortunately, because Diana is not actually part of the story, it loses a lot um, and, and doesn't really have I, – I don't think it really has the same impact. I don't know if you share that opinion. Yeah, no. This is this is to me where Ecstatic starts to lose some steam. I mean this is a, what, six-issue mm. arc and it doesn't go anywhere. It feels like it, it wants to have some biting commentary about you know people who are famous for being famous. However, and maybe this is – my age speaking a bit, but Princess Diana feels like a weird target for that because while she was, you know, just mostly famous for being tabloid fodder and stuff, there's a weird mean spirit to this where, you know, Henrietta is trying to do some 
ostensibly good things and everyone's mm-hmm. pointing out and saying oh look at you you're you're just you're just doing this stuff and it's not you know you're trying hard and that's not cool it's a it, it's weird i i don't think this is ecstatics at its best at all this is this is the team at its most petty and that's a team that mm-hmm. made sure a child died so that he wouldn't take their spotlight <laughs> Yeah, it's it's already a group of characters who, you know, flirt with unlikability on a on a, you know, issue by issue basis. Um and I I mean, I'll pose this to you. I, my question as I was reading this was how much of this actual story was rewritten? You know, given that it takes a half a year to publish this um over the course of six issues and that the conclusion of it really does lean into the idea that Henrietta Hunter is more of this pop star with this haunting song and that's that's sort of how the story wraps up i'm very curious what the original story was supposed to be here i'm sure that there was definitely you know more of a, a concentration on this idea there's this whole subplot with the um you know the mines uh, and the kid who who steps on the landmine, uh, and then later she goes and fights the Taliban. But it really feels disjointed, as if there's not a, a central way of tying this thing all together. And so he pulls this other idea in and and just wraps it up, and it's like, okay, well we're done. Um, so I'm curious how this may have have shifted as it was being published. Oh yeah, due this to the this definitely had to have some sort of change in it because. Issue 18 is not where you'd imagine this going if you, you know, when you start on issue 13. It just, it doesn't really track. It doesn't make a lot no. of sense. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It's incredibly disjointed. I mean, look, Mike Allred's art is still very good. He is amazing. But, but I'll tell He's you, like, for Ecstatics being a team that had a very high death, death toll. This this arc also has a couple of deaths that I think were less impactful than some of the other stuff in the series. Uh, mostly Fat, who mm-hmm. is a character who, yeah. as time has gone on, is less and less of a comfortable thing to read. Not because I think there's – I don't think there is intentional racism going on there. I think it is definitely a trope and a stereotype. You know, the the white kid who wants to be a gangster and all this stuff. That was a thing in 2003. Like that was that was a cultural zeitgeist, I guess. But it hasn't aged well. And even if it was accurate, I don't think it was handled with care. Because I, I don't think that – I don't hmm. think that Milligan was trying to say anything – about that particular subculture or anything like that i felt like oh look at these this kid who you know wants to be you know a gangster and live in rap culture isn't that silly of him which feels odd well and and just from what i've read of x X force ecstatics um you know milligan's commentary on race particular with his uh, particularly with his african-american characters what he has to do with fat you know it's it's a mixed bag um you know he's coming at it from Mm -hmm. a a white british perspective um you know i i don't know that it i'm you know and i'm speaking about this as a you know an east coast white liberal guy but um you know it doesn't seem to really 
line up. Um, it, it doesn't make for bad writing in a lot of places, but I agree that there are things that he tackles in his writing and sometimes they yeah. land and sometimes they don't. Um, yeah, but back to the deaths, you're right. I mean, some of these things just seem kind of arbitrary here, whereas elsewhere in the series, they made. Yeah, because like Fat was around since the second issue. He was he was a pretty big part, and mm-hmm. he had a big romance subplot with uh, Vivisector, which I have not revisited in the last couple of years, and I can't imagine that was handled with a lot of care. Well, it's a it's a very like you know glancing mm-hmm. thing that's happening in the background. Um, but yeah, those are the kind of things that Milligan is toying around with. And like I said, like we said, sometimes these things succeed and sometimes they don't. I think this is where you could start to see the book maybe lose a little bit of its focus and uh, a little bit of its edge as it tries to get really super bitey and savage, but it doesn't have its target. Um, you know, so it has to deflect into other areas and, you know, it, I don't think it lands as well. Yeah, I think you're right because when ecstatics works well, it's poking fun at stuff, but it's poking fun of, at its own characters. It's making you realize that even though, you mm-hmm. know, Mr. Sensitive is probably the most sympathetic guy on this team, he's still a really bad dude too. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it does it does the best when it is saying hey we're the ones who suck mm-hmm. when it starts to point out other people who suck or other things that suck and trying to make ecstatics kind of like like they're they're a bad comp right there you don't want them to be the oh we're the good side right yeah that, that, then it it doesn't work as well right right so i i mean that that covers it i will say as we uh kind of move into the ranking segment of this even at the time uh it was recognized as probably a pretty tasteless thing to uh bring back a cultural icon for straight up shock value with this like i was looking up some message board posts it's vigorous debate about it oh yeah i think it's probably better as a whole that we don't have Princess Diana actually joining an X-related team, <laughs> but it doesn't make this story great. This is this is among the weakest parts of Ecstatics, which is a run I generally enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the other stuff a lot better than this. So uh, where would you put this on our list? So uh, the only ecstatics related thing we have on here is Wolverine and the X-Men 17 at number 16, which is that issue all about dupe. And I don't think this is anywhere near as good as that. Oh, no, no. That is delightful and classic. Um, I think this is full of missteps. So it's, I'm going a lot lower on this, I think. Yeah, I'm scrolling down. You know what story is kind of comparable is that Spider-Man and the X-Men 1 and 2, which is a story that I think we liked, but we recognized Mm -hmm. had some flaws. More flaws in that one in plotting and writing than in odd cultural things that make it weird to read. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I I think we do have to give credit to the All Reds for uh, for some amazing art duties here. The character are designs so are amazing. Good. There's some really cool uh, costume designs that happen in this arc. So I think I would put it right ahead of that, uh, that Spidey and the X-Men. How about you? 
Okay, so that's at number 60 right now. At number 59, we have X-Men 12 and 13, which is that Mm. first Juggernaut story. And here's here's where it gets into it. Do we put pretty good Jack Kirby art up against solid (laughs) all red art? Um I don't know. I really like that juggernaut little little thing though. That's that's a cool two issues. We we have talked issues. about that as being the shining gem of the Silver Age, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it, I I think that's a good spot for it. I really okay, do. Cool. So this is going to be our new number sixty, Ecstatics Back from the Dead. Nice. But we can't sing that song or else we're all gonna die. <laughs> oh yeah, did we yeah. did we forget to mention that there is a the ring? in this yeah only it's a song yeah. they yeah, that. that's how he decides to wrap it up yeah when we say it goes crazy this does turn from a uh i, I want to say attempted parody about uh princess diana into the ring mm-hmm. yeah don't oh. sing the lyrics are you, you gonna bite it that's disjointed. Uh. that's number 60 right now and we've got another story that is also disjointed <laughs> Yes, that's a oh, great what way. Is this? So oh, this man. is a two issue mini kind of. So here's the thing about Extreme X-Men. Claremont plotted a lot of Extreme X-Men before he wrote the first issue. Like he has mm. he has said in interviews at the time that, you know, he was he was like two years out by the time that book started. So you wow, yeah. get out. So you see you see a lot of that uh fly through it. So in the first part of Extreme X-Men, uh you get Beast being on the team before Morrison had him because mm-hmm. Claremont thought he was going to be able to use Beast and he already did all these stories and then Morrison said, "But I want Beast and I'm Grant Morrison and I'm going to write a, a <laughs> classic run that's going to rival your own." <laughs> yeah. And so he lost that. So you get a lot of weird mini series. You get the uh, the Savage Land mini. You get uh, mechanics, and then you mm-hmm. get this. This is Extreme X Men Expose, a two issue mini series by Chris Claremont and Arthur Ranson, starring Neil Conan and Manali Weatherall of you know the <laughs> real NPR. NPR TV, if I remember correctly, from Uncanny, right? That's the, I think that's, that's the what, joke. I think that's what that's what they had in Uncanny. Yes, uh, yeah, these are actual yeah. radio personalities who would be much better podcast hosts than we would because they've been radio professionals <laughs> for their entire career. I gotta say, when uh, and I, I am not going to speak highly of this at all, <laughs> but when <laughs> when I saw Neil Conan and uh, Weatherall pop up, I was like, no way i said okay this this has got to be at least worth it for for seeing these two back but then oh boy oh boy what do i say about this um you want to just give a quick synopsis of of the plot here quote unquote yeah so there's a lot going on here uh yeah not npr tv whatever tv station they're with now wants to do a series about mutants like a 60 minutes type uh, thing about mutant culture, which was a big deal at the time, like 2003, and we even see it with that ecstatics. Mutants weren't just hated and feared. There was a very interesting plot of a subculture being built around what it is to be a mutant and humans wanting to be mutants and a mm-hmm. lot of cool stuff with that. 
So what ended up happening is, you know, you have these two reporters going out and interviewing the Extreme X Men, uh, Bishop and Sage and Storm and Gambit and uh, Rogue, trying to see, you know, what what's life life like for them. And eventually, it turns into, in editing, uh, gets turned into kind of this yellow journalism whole uh, like mud raking type type of thing, and they aren't. They aren't for it, and it also finds out that uh, Archangel has technically been financing all of this, even though he didn't know what was going on with his company, which is only the second time in that era that that happened. Third time in that era that that <laughs> happens. I forgot about Stacy X. Warren Worthington is always he's always spending his money in ways that he really isn't sure what he's doing with it, right? Because, like, I'm um, not joking. In a two year span, Warren Worthington found out that he was financing. Uh, mutant hate journalism a yep. mutant brothel and that his company <laughs> was ran by werewolves who wanted to dominate the world oh my gosh wow and only one wow. of them was chuck austin <laughs> yeah i mean we have to put some blame on claremont here um yeah, yeah i i to go back to what i was i was saying before it was exciting to see neil conan i was like wow this is a flash to the you know back to the past but then it just devolves like it and okay some bonus points here for uh putting bishop uh windsurfing you know i thought that was kind of delightful yes but essentially what both issues are are these long-winded conversations where the characters are just kind of talking at each other in platitudes and i i'm not even sure that it really has that much to say but it's long-winded and um it it reminded me a lot of the other arc that we read god loves man kills too mm -hmm. where again characters were kind of talking at each other with ideology and and messages instead of actually having an honest to god conversation or too much really happening um there is a, a sort of b plot here with these local I, I guess you could call them thugs or something but mutant kids that are going around bullying other people but it doesn't really add up to much and i, I really didn't care too much about this story yeah i think i think there's some parts that work better for me like the stuff with the mutant kids they call themselves and this is this plays right into the talking at each other about platitudes uh they call themselves the spikes and everyone else who is not a mutant static because when you're analyzing data in data analysis and recording the spikes are the important stuff and the static you filter out which is a very long-winded way to uh to say hey we're mutants and we think we're better so while their name <laughs> yeah. is dumb, I do think a lot of the stuff around them and the the conversations that happen are at least touching on some interesting stuff, even if it doesn't make for interesting reading. Like this reads more yeah. like something that you would sit around at a uh, at a writer's summit and figure out, okay, what do we want this this franchise to be? What kind of topics, what kind of things could we bring to the table that would be new and interesting for X-Men? And on that level, mm -hmm. it would work really well when you just take that pitch document and you write it verbatim and put speech bubbles around it. It doesn't hit as good. Yeah. Yeah. You're nailing it here. Um, that's exactly how I felt as I was reading it. Like this seemed like, uh, you know, unfiltered uh, ideas as opposed to, you know, how to translate this into a story. Um, so, 
you know, I mean, I, I think there's some some cool stuff going on with the art in these two issues. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's a good story somewhere in here. You know, the idea that there's sort of like an exploitative journalistic entity trying to take advantage of the X-Men versus the public radio do-gooders trying to do old-fashioned journalism. You know, th- there's some fun ideas you could have with there, but there's nothing really fun uh, about these two issues. Yeah, and that's that's one thing I really like about this era, this like 2001 to 2004 chunk of time for X-Men, because while it didn't always hit as well as it should have, and while Uncanny X-Men was the worst that it's ever been in that time period, everything else around it, if it wasn't good, it was at least interesting or doing something interesting. And that sure. that's something that I think this book attempts to do nowhere near as well as a lot of its peers. Nowhere near as well yeah. the commentary as something like uh, the book Muties or the X Factor uh, miniseries that was going th- uh, around this time, but it does it does try to do something new and different. This is Claremont having written X Men on and off for twenty to thirty years at this point. He's at least trying something new, and I appreciate that. It doesn't make it great. No. No, and I think this this highlighted more than anything. You know, we we see occasionally this uh, big fan push, like got to bring Claremont back, and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess if we were going to get another Dark Phoenix saga, but I wonder if we would get more of this. Um, you know that that might be my personal prejudice, but bring um, Claremont back you know, never worked. It sort of floats like straight up. We've done uh, it yeah. a lot. It's never worked. If you want to bring Claremont <laughs> back, you bring him back on something like an X-Men Unlimited where it is an anthology where he gets to write whatever X-Men story he wants using whatever weird characters he wants to tell whatever character mm-hmm. piece he wants with the characters. But you can't let him like own the franchise anymore because what Chris Claremont wants out of X-Men nowadays is not what you want out of X-Men. And that's an unfortunate truth that I think a lot of people just kind of have to come to terms with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of ranking this, I'm looking and I'm, I'm going kind of low here, but, uh, I was kind of looking around no more humans. Um, something that again, like seemed like it had something to say. Um, but we weren't so super satisfied with the story quality of it. Um, I I know you like that a lot better than I did. I like parts of No More Humans better than you did. I still think No More Humans is a pretty flawed book. Okay. All right. But that that's kind of where I'm at on the list. Where where were you looking? I think that's about fair. I was looking around that area. Uh, yeah. I, I'm split on Deadly Genesis because I tend to dislike Jet Deadly Genesis a lot more than you do. Yeah. I don't well, think okay. this is better than that one issue of Storm that – is again a good idea with questionable execution. Yeah. Well, then maybe we just put it a, a spot ahead of Deadly Genesis. I, I'm fine with that. Works for me. So this will be our new number 66 Extreme X Men Expose. Say that five times fast. Extreme oh, X Men Expose, Extreme X Men Expose, Extreme X Men Expose, Extreme X Men Expose, Extreme X Men Expose. Boom! Is that four That's or quality. Five? That was five. I counted. It's quality podcast content, everyone. 
<laughs> well, I may not have liked that last story very much, but I will say I absolutely adore the next issue that we're going to talk about, um, Ooh, which interesting. is Uncanny X-Men Volume 3, Number 35, a.k.a. That Gold Balls issue. <laughs> yeah, I think this has an actual name, but I don't uh, know what it is. I have to go back. Uh, I'm already, I'm, I've already remember. not looked at it. Like it's it's already it's, packed away in the long boxes. I'm not pulling it back out. <laughs> That's okay. It's that gold balls issue. Yeah, and I think if you were reading at that time, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, this one is written by Brian Michael Bendis with pencils by Valerio Shidi and uh colors by Richard Eisenova. Uh this is an interesting issue because this is the Cyclops X-Men kids. So Gold Balls hijack the Cuckoos triage uh morph and yeah that's it. Kind of doing a mutant thing. Like they just at the end of the Bendis run they kind of strike out on their own and decide, "Hey, let's be X-Men for a little bit." And they mm-hmm. aren't bad. They stop They're the hero squad, Zach. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty they're pretty decent about it. They stop Animex, who is this one character that I think Ryan Michael Bendis and myself are the only people who like her. Oh, I like that character. But it's she, from Battle of the Atom. She's a punk who makes <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's our name. <laughs> Isn't that where she's from? That's that's where they that character yeah, yeah. first popped up, right? Yes, she's she's a monster making punk. Yeah. With a with, with a racist daddy, dad. Um Yeah. It's it's interesting. Essentially, they stop her from taking over something, mm-hmm. and Gold Balls saves the day while screaming Gold Balls, and then Gold Balls becomes famous. Yeah. Well, this is such. Yeah, a, I think this is a weird issue because it it's kind of twofold. It's it's almost like a pitchy issue for a new series that never ended up happening. You know, like it, within one issue, you have a team pop out of nowhere of characters that I don't know. I I loved this lineup. Um, They go on an adventure. They succeed. One of their heroes becomes really famous, but then by the end of the issue, the the team disbands, you know, and they just sort of like disqualify themselves and take themselves out of the, out of action. So um, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a very strange sort of set them up, knock them down, wrap it up real quick kind of thing. Well, it does even more than that. Like, it gives them a base. Yep. It gives them, like, a mission statement. It gives the team a lot. And considering the team doesn't even appear for, like, the first six pages, that's a lot to do in 14 pages. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah, it sets them up in uh, the abandoned Hellfire Club. um, And and really does a lot with Gold Balls because not only does he become famous, but then there's the double standard. Because when people start figuring out that, uh, you know, he's a mutant, they don't accept his fame, you know. So it starts to get Mm -hmm. into a little bit of what the Marvel Universe double standard is of, uh, you know, an Avenger versus an X-Man, which I think is an interesting concept to explore. I think it's an interesting concept to explore, but like everything else in this issue, I don't think it's given enough space. Hmm. This rushed. Yeah, this is a very quick issue, and there's a lot of really good ideas. Bendis is throwing a lot of interesting stuff at the wall, and just I think he's hoping to get it out there. And I know in our next episode, we're going to be talking a bit more about Bendis's run, uh, especially near the end of it. 
and we'll touch on this better, but I think there's a lot of stuff near the end of his run that he realized pretty late that he was going to be off the book and he had so many things that he said, well, I have to do all of this. Yeah. Yeah. This feels a little checklisty, um, in a very satisfying way, I will say, just because I really enjoy these characters. Um, you know, and I will just put a little plug in that I would love to see someone doing something with hijack, um, you know, post secret wars. Cause I, I think yeah. popped up in the background of gen X. Um, uh, but I, I don't know that he's been in any of the other books, really fun character anyway um but you're absolutely right like and we're gonna we're gonna touch on this a little bit more in the next episode but there was this confluence of crossover stuff where you know we had original sin going into axis going immediately into hickman's um secret wars stuff where it was kind of like well what's even going on like the solicits the covers are not matching the interiors of the books you have um, multiple issues saying to be concluded in uncanny 600 so you know there's a sort of a mishmash of what's going on continuity wise here yeah and i have a just just a quick plug i have a grand unified theory about this that we will get into next episode (laughs) but sticking with gold balls he is delightful and i I do like that he gets a chance to get this um this showcase you know because it's a kind of character where you might have just taken for granted as a as a one note joke but i think you know there's some interesting stuff going on here that's fun and the art is beautiful valeria does an amazing job on this it's gorgeous yeah, it's the art's great. I think Bendis has a great voice for these characters, even if on a plotting standpoint, it's rushed, which normally isn't the Bendis problem. Right. No, usually, you know, I can imagine this being stretched out to, you know, like a four issue arc where these kids get to go out on some solo adventures and then realize, you know, maybe we've got to reel it in a little bit. Um, yeah, we don't get we never got to see that. Yeah. So it's a bit unfortunate but end of the day, I like this. Uh, where do you think this goes on our big old list? I think, you know, we've talked about other Bendis one shots, specifically Uncanny X-Men 15.inh. <laughs> uh, I think I this think, is better than that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this is better than that. Um, I, I think I liked this better than um, the Generation Next arc of Phalanx Covenant. Um I don't, yes yeah i know you're a big fan of uh uncanny 245 men um it's probably about on par with men like yeah i don't that's a think good it's much look. worse than men how about that okay yeah is it better than the what if x-men stayed in asgard <sighs> which, which is a really cool comprehensive you know like maybe storylines Okay. I I yeah, know I it's not I know it's not better than that Warlock uh Spider-Man story in Web of Spider-Man Annual 2. Yeah, I wasn't going to go that high. Um, so it, and it's I don't... between there. It's because uh, that's at 49. At 50 is the Savage Land and Shi'ar stuff from Uncanny 275 to a few issues after that. And then yeah, 51 is ahead of that. Yeah, well, I I don't know. I think it it might fit snugly between uh, Uncanny two forty five and and what if number twelve. What do you think? Okay, yes. Yeah, sorry, I don't have issue numbers on my list, so I saw. Oh, I'm, sorry. Un- I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. What That's Aiden Asgard. Yep. So and men is fifty one. So this I think can be a good number. New number fifty two. 
So our oh. new number 52, Uncanny X-Men, Volume 3, number 35, that gold balls issue. <laughs> that gold balls issue. Man, if anyone goes on to our episode notes or on to XavierFiles.com to the Battle of the Atom section and looks at the big old master ranking list and just sees that gold balls issue, they will be <laughs> very confused or know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, they'll know what we're talking about. They're going to be excited about it. I hope they're excited about it because I was excited about this episode and now it's done. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. We've got 81, 81 great stories on this ever expanding list of every X-Men story ever. And we're just keeping keeping on adding to them. Yeah. And just like everything else on this podcast, it was supported by Emery Allen on Patreon.com. If you want to join the Mary Marvel Marching Society of my Patreon, our Patreon, the Patreon that all of you support, uh, you can uh, go over to Patreon.com slash Xavier Files at the $2 a month level. You can get an interesting reward where you select a X-Men story and we craft an entire episode around it. So that'll be fun. Thanks to all of our patrons. If you can't support the show monetarily, and I get it, I can't support everything I like on the internet with my money. Just, you know, maybe leave a rating review or say hi to us on Twitter. I'm at Xavier Files or on my website, XavierFiles.com, where I have weekly updates about different X-Men characters and where this uh, episode thing is posted. I think as this goes up, I will have just written about Jean Grey, who is... Oh, nice. Very interesting. Yeah, I got to write that still. <laughs> I'm going to be on a... You're going to do fine. I'm going to be on a plane a lot earlier this or later this week, so I just expect to spend <laughs> that time talking about how the phoenix will rise from the ashes. Nice. Oh, hey, Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, well, guys, you can always find me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. New pages of Bish and Jubes are available every Monday at uh, adamreck.tumblr.com. And uh, I don't know, Zach, do you want to plug the zine I while we're here? I do want to plug the zine while we're here. So right now, as this goes up, we will still be accepting pre-orders for the Xavier Files zine, which is this amazing fan project that has come oh, together with so, cool. so many of the coolest people working in – I say working in like they're doing anything. People who are fans of X-Men who also make stuff. Yeah. So we've got exciting things like a paper craft version of Cyclops' uh, visor, beautiful pinup <laughs> art, great articles, uh, some amazing comics, and – you will finally get the official Xavier Files definitive ranking of every X-Men animated series. Number two may <laughs> surprise you. Um, and I, I just want to also note that Zach uh, may have uh, convinced me somehow to make Garfield comic strips that are starring Maggot. I love it so, so much. Um... <laughs> it's so good. Guys, like the digital copy is free. The print copy right now is posted at $10, and that is just to cover the 32 pages of glossy paper in color that we are nice. shipping out to you. And that is what staples.com said I should budget for this with shipping and all that stuff. So this is essentially at cost. So oh, man. Go, go ahead and take a look at it. If you pre-order, you also get the mini – Uncanny X memes zine 
from No Context <laughs> X-Men, friend of the show, Thomas Cummins. And he sent me the proofs of that. It's very good, too. It's a mix of... Oh, man. I'm so excited about it's this. It's a mix of bad X-Men jokes and bad RuPaul Drag Race <laughs> jokes, which has a surprising <laughs> overlap in X-Men fandom. <laughs> I don't think that's that surprising. I, mean, I, not surprising I don't get Logo, so I have not watched RuPaul's Drag Race. And ah, at this point, okay. it feels like there's a lot of it, and I'd have to catch up, so... Yeah. Probably. Anyway. All right. So make sure you're getting that, guys. That's that's going to be amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, beyond all that, thanks, everyone. Next week, we have an exciting episode based around the last will and testament of Charles Xavier. Till then, this has been Bow the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it! Uh-oh. You all right? You could hear all that? I just heard something fall. Yeah, that was that was my above me. Oh. <laughs> I assumed that <laughs> was I, okay? I don't know. I assume it was a child. <laughs>